Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. You and I live in a culture that is increasingly opposed to those who trust in God. And it can be a challenge to understand how we are to live in such a world. Right now, we are in a journey through the book of Daniel learning how God calls us, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, to live when surrounded by people who do not believe. This week, we'll learn to how to talk about God to others in the middle of a culture that doesn't feel like they want God or even realize that they need Him. It's an important topic, so I hope you'll listen closely and I hope you enjoy it, because I believe God has something He would like to say to you. When I was in high school, uh, different jobs in the summers, but one summer I took a job. Only, the only reason I took it was because it paid the most money of any job that I could find. It wasn't a job I enjoyed, and maybe you know what this experience is like. It's not a job I wanted to do. In fact, I was doing something that when I was on the other end, the receiving end of this job, I despised it. Uh, but the, the pay was good. It was the best, most money I could find uh, for the summer. And so I took the job. And I was, for that summer, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'll tell you, I was, for that summer, a telemarketer. And so uh, I would call you when you didn't want me to call you, and I would offer you things that you didn't want to buy. And I'm not going to tell you the exact company that I worked for. I will tell you that I was in Omaha, and I sold steak. All right, that's all I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say the exact company, but I was in Omaha. I sold steak through catalogs and, and on the phone. And so I would call people, and here was the problem. I would call people... And here's the thing I could never get over. I never once called someone and they picked up the phone and I said, hi, this is, this is Todd. See, they, they made me lie. This is Todd from Omaha. Oh, I, I'm not going to say the name. But from Omaha, we sell steaks. And, uh, and they would, no one ever said back to me, oh, I'm so glad you called. I was just sitting here and my wife and I were talking and we were just saying, we could use some frozen steaks on our front door in seven to 10 days. Like we were just having that conversation. Good thing that you called. I called people. They didn't want what I was selling, nor did they feel like they needed what I was selling. And I was terrible at this. I would call up and I would say, hey, do you want some steaks? And they would say, no. And I would say, thanks for your time. I'll talk to you later. And that, that was my, the, the best that I could do. But some people around me were unbelievable at it. They would call up and they would say, hey, do you want some steak? And the person would say, no. They would talk for a half an hour. And by the end of it, they had sold $300 worth of steak that the person didn't know that they wanted and they didn't even really need. And that always baffled me. How do you, how do you, help so, how do you give something to someone when they don't want it or they don't Need it. Now, when it comes to belief in God, it's a totally different realm than selling a product. But I think there's a similar idea here. Because if you're someone that's sitting in the room this morning and you follow Jesus with your life, you are well aware that we live in a culture that by and large feels like they don't need God, nor do they want him. In fact, uh, the latest number I saw from the Pew Research Center in 2017, they had a big article that said for the first time uh, since they've been recording this particular stat, more than 50%, in fact, 56% of people living in the United States said that you neither need to believe in God nor have him in your life to be an upright moral person. 
And so what that means is that we live in a culture where over half the people feel like there's really no need for God, uh, nor do they really want to have him in their lives. And you don't need a number to tell you that. You know that's true. You know we live in that culture. In fact, maybe you're in the room this morning and, and you feel that way. You're saying to yourself, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. I, I'm here this morning, but I don't really feel like I have a need for God or really want him in my life. I'm glad you're here this morning with us. But the challenge is this. If I'm someone that calls myself a follower of Jesus, I know, if I've been around church for a while, that one of the things I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to go and share that message with other people. I'm supposed to tell them that God exists and that he loves them and he's real and that he desires a relationship with them. But the thing that stops us many times, quite frankly, the thing that can stop me is I know I'm going to go try and do this to a group of people that don't want God, nor do they feel like they need him in their life. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to tell people there is a God who exists and who loves you? When they don't want to hear the message and they don't need, they feel like they don't need it. Well, as we continue in our walk through the book of Daniel, we started last week in walking through this book. And I think this is a really important discussion and, and conversation that we're having. We're talking about how do you live for God when no one else around you does. And Daniel certainly lived in a culture where he was one of the few people who, were follow, who was following the God of his people, the Israelites, and the God of the Bible. And Daniel had no choice. His country, his nation, was taken over by another empire called the Babylonians. They had different gods, different belief system entirely. And they were actively forcing their pagan beliefs onto God's people. And Daniel was one of those people. And Daniel gets all mixed up in, in being with the king and this whole entire process. And we talked a lot about that last week. I'd encourage, if you missed it, to go back uh, on the website or podcast or whatever and take a listen so that you can understand a little bit more of the context in which Daniel is living. But in the second chapter, we see something happen. We see something happen where Daniel is able to talk directly to the king and to be able to share with him a little bit about who his God is. And we're going to take a look at how this happens. Because I think what Daniel does is very instructive for us. As we go out into our world, and some of us, we come from families where we're the only person that believes. We walk into a classroom. Some of you are going to walk into a classroom on Tuesday, into a, in a university classroom, and, and you're going to be the only person that believes in that classroom. Some of you are going to walk into work later this week. You're the only person that believes. So we know what this is like to be surrounded by people who do not believe what we believe. So how do you share the love of God in those moments? Well, Daniel does it, and we're going to look at what he does. Here's the story of Daniel chapter 2. We're not going to read it all. We're just going to talk about the story. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and Babylon is the superpower of the day. So King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful person on earth. King Nebuchadnezzar, he, uh, he has a dream. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he was troubled by it. And maybe you know what this is like. I mean, sometimes you have a dream, right? And you wake up and you say to yourself, whew, 
no more chili after nine o'clock, right? That's what you say. But sometimes you have a dream. Something happens and it's so vivid and it's so real that it just sticks with you, doesn't it? It bothers you. And as you go through the day, as you go through the next day, and as you think about it, it's just something that sometimes it's a daydream. Sometimes it's just a thought that you have as you're, as you're driving or you're, you're at work or Sometimes it's something that happens while you're asleep at night, and you can't get it out of your mind. It just bothers you, right? Well, that's where Nebuchadnezzar is. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it bothers him. And as he wakes up, I don't know much about living in the ancient world. I've never, I've never lived in the ancient world. But my understanding is when the king is upset, everybody feels it. When the king is upset and angry, if you're around the king, your life becomes miserable as well. The king makes sure of it. So the king is bothered by this dream, and he calls his magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, and he says this, I had a dream last night. It seems so real, and it is bothering me. You tell me the dream and its interpretation, or I'm going to kill all of you and destroy your homes. I mean, it's quite a proposition. This is how bothered he is. And they, the magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, they say back to the king, they say, what you, you know, we can't do this. Why don't you just tell us your dream and we'll tell you the answer. And Nebuchadnezzar says something like, I'm paraphrasing, do you think that I'm stupid? If I tell you my dream, you're going to tell me what I want to hear. I want the real meaning of this dream. So you tell me what the dream was, and then you tell me the interpretation, otherwise the killing and the destruction of your homes and all the things I mentioned before. And they were worried. And listen to what they said to the king. In verse 10, this is what they say. The Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans is this word that's used for this group of the magicians and sorcerers and enchanters in front of the king. They answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. You're asking us to tell you your dream and its interpretation. There is not a person on earth, magician, sorcerer, enchanter, anything that can tell you that and the interpretation. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is too difficult, they told him. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So here's the deal. We, no man can do what you're asking. You tell us a dream, we'll give you the interpretation. But you want us to tell you your dream and its interpretation, that is impossible. In fact, no man on earth can do it. The only one that might be able to do it is the gods. And this is the Babylonian gods made of wood and stone, Marduk being the, the, the big one. Said, the gods could do it, but they don't, they don't live with us. And Nebuchadnezzar is a, a man of his word. And he says, okay. And he puts out a decree that all the enchanters and sorcerers and Chaldeans and magicians would be put to death. He puts his, one of his leaders, a man by the name of Ariok, in charge of this. So the magicians and the sorcerers and the enchanters, they're, they're pretty bothered by this, as you might uh, guess. And they run and they find Daniel, Daniel, who our book is about. See, Daniel had been in school with them. Do you remember if you were here last week in chapter one, Daniel had gone to school with these other magicians and sorcerers and enchanters. They knew who he was. And by the way, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we talked about last week, they would have been a part of this decree by the king. Their lives were in danger too. And so they run to Daniel and they say, you got to do something. 
Somehow they know from the first chapter that there's, Daniel has some sort of spiritual access that they don't have. They say, you got to do something. We're all going to die. Daniel goes to the leader that the king put in charge, this fellow Ariok, and he says, listen, I would like to speak with the king. And then Daniel goes back to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends. And he says to them, you pray. And then Daniel does something crazy. Something I could not imagine myself doing if my life was on the line and I had no idea what I was going to say to the king when I met with him. Daniel tells his friends to sleep and Daniel, or he tells his friends to pray and Daniel goes to sleep. Imagine how much trust you must have in God to be able to go to sleep in the moment that Daniel's in. And while Daniel is asleep, God gives him the dream and gives him the interpretation. So Daniel, he wakes up in the morning and he praises God, as you can imagine. Thanks, God, for doing this. He goes before the king and he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what happened. You had a dream and you saw a giant statue. The head of that statue was gold. And the arms of that statue, the chest and arms of that statue were made of silver. The torso of that statue was made of bronze. The legs of that statue were made of iron, and the feet of that statue were a mixture of iron and clay. And then, in your dream, you saw a stone. And the stone wasn't cut by any human, but the stone just appeared, and the stone crashed into the feet of that statue, the feet that were partially brittle because they were made with potter's clay, and the feet crumbled. And the entire statue, very slowly came falling over and crashed into the ground. And it broke into so many pieces that the wind was able to sweep the pieces away. And that stone implanted itself and became a mountain in the statue's place. And Daniel said, here's what it means. You king, your kingdom is the golden head. And after you will come other kingdoms. They will be less than yours. Your kingdom is great. There will come another kingdom that will be a little bit less than yours and another one. And then a kingdom that is strong like iron, those legs. But that kingdom will be fatally flawed, basically, Daniel says. It will be weak in some areas and strong in the other areas. That's why the feet are made of clay and iron together. And at some point, God is going to come along. And he is going to smash the kingdoms of this earth and begin a kingdom that is greater than them all and cannot be moved. And then Nebuchadnezzar does something that I'm sure Daniel could not imagine him doing. I mean, it's not terrible news for Nebuchadnezzar, this dream. I mean, his kingdom lasts. It's the kingdom. It's the iron kingdom that's going to fall. His kingdom lasts. And Nebuchadnezzar does something I can't imagine Daniel thought he would do. And that is in verse 47 of chapter 2. Daniel says, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. All these pagan gods that Nebuchadnezzar had been following his entire life. He says to Daniel, your God is clearly the best. And he promotes Daniel within his kingdom. Now, here's the question. How does Daniel, how do they go from life on the line, life in danger, this king seeking out pagan gods to find an answer, 
to, at the end of this chapter, declaring that Daniel's God is the God of gods. See, Daniel did something in the midst of this culture in which he lived, where the people didn't need God or want God. You know, if you and I went into a tea station this afternoon and stood up on a milk crate and told everybody how they need God, most people wouldn't listen to us. If Daniel had done the same thing, just stood up in the middle of the king's court and started screaming how everybody needed to follow and listen to God, he probably would have lost his life. But Daniel is able to very strategically do something here that I think is instructive for us as well. I see Daniel doing two things. And the first thing I see Daniel doing is this. He's present. He's there. And I think if you and I are going to be able to talk about God and who he is to a world that doesn't want him or think that he needs him, the first thing we have to do is to be present around those people in this world. It's an important one. I heard someone say once that witness requires withness. And I like that phrase. Witness requires withness. When we want to hear or we need to hear truth in our life, we go to the people that have been walking with us, the people whom we can trust, the people whom we know love us. And as people that follow Jesus, if you're someone that calls yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're someone that follows God, then we ought to be walking with people who don't feel like at the moment they need or want God. Because at some point, what happened to the king is going to happen to them. And that is there's going to be a moment of crisis. The king didn't want God. He didn't need God. But when he had a moment of crisis, when his world came crashing down, when he had this dream that bothered him to the depths of his being and he didn't know what to do, all of a sudden the door was open to have a conversation that normally he would not have. And when that moment came, Daniel was around. Now, it wasn't Daniel's choice to be a part of the Babylonian Empire. They took over his people. But he did make strategic decisions to be in a place where when it was, he was able to influence the king, he was there to do so. Who are you walking with in life that right now doesn't feel like they need God or want him? And are you walking with them in such a way? Are you caring for them in such a way, even at this moment where they're rejecting God, that when the crisis comes and something happens, you're there? It's not about using people. It's not about creating relationships only for this moment. But are you genuinely loving people who right now don't believe the same thing you believe or do the same things that you do in such a way that when they're open to the discussion, I've heard it said that people are most open to talking about God in times of tragedy and transition. When the job gets lost, when the unexpected death happens, when intellect runs dry, when all of the self-help books don't have the answer 
Are you in a position where you will be a person that those people come to? Daniel had himself in that place. And the second thing Daniel did was not only was he present, he also then fulfilled his purpose. And his purpose was quite simply this. Daniel was there to, in the, in the king's moment of crisis, point to God. Daniel was there in the king's moment of crisis to point to God. And I think for many of us, the one thing that makes us really nervous about telling other people about God even in their moments of tragedy and transition, is that we have to have all the answers. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? But Daniel didn't have these answers. Daniel had no idea what the dream was or the interpretation was. But Daniel knew that his purpose wasn't to have all the answers. His purpose was to be with the king and to be with God so that when the door was open, he could point to God. Do you remember what the magicians and the sorcerers said to the king when the king said, tell me my dream and then give me my, the interpretation? They, said, they looked at him and they said, they said, you're crazy in verse 10. Do you remember? They said, there is no man on earth who can do what the king asks. There is no man on earth who can meet the king's demand, they said. But watch what Daniel says when he comes before the king. Daniel says, you're right. There is no person on earth who can do this. But, in verse 28, but... There is a God in heaven. You're right, king. Your your magicians are right. The sorcerers are right. There is no person on earth that can do what you're asking. But, but, there is a God in heaven who can do this. And that was Daniel's purpose, was to rely on God and then point to God in the king's moment of crisis. And that is what you and I are called to as well. Living in a world where people don't want God and they don't need him, there are going to be moments. There are going to be moments when the door is open because the job is lost or the marriage is going south, because the kid has moved away, or because the search for meaning and purpose in intellect and knowledge has just come to a dead end. And in those moments, God would call us to be present, rely on him, and point to him. So the person comes to us and says, I've lost my job and I don't know what to do. And we say back to them, you know what? There is no job on earth that could possibly fulfill your soul and give you satisfaction and purpose. But there is a God in heaven. And someone comes to us and says, I don't know what to do. My marriage is ending. I have no idea where to go. And we say, listen, there is no relationship on this earth that's going to fulfill your deepest needs and desires, but there is a God in heaven. And someone comes to us and says, I don't have all the answers anymore. I thought that I did, but this world doesn't make sense. And we say, there are, there is no person on this earth that can give you all the answers, but there is a God 
in heaven. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've walked into this room today and you're in that place where you're saying to yourself, I don't know where I'm going to find the significance and purpose I've been seeking. I don't know where I'm going to get all the answers. Let me tell you this morning, there is nothing on this earth that can satisfy the depths of your soul. There is no person on this earth that can give you the answers that answer the deepest longings of your soul. But there is, there is a God in heaven who loves you and knows you and offers ultimate, eternal significance and purpose and relationship. See, you and I have something that Daniel didn't even have as we go out into this mission. That statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw and this prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and then the the kingdoms beneath it and the stone coming and crushing all the other kingdoms and turning into a mountain. There's some conversation as to what that means, but there's actually a lot of agreement as to what that means in our world. And most people understand the prophecy is this. Many people understand the prophecy is this, that certainly the gold head was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom in Babylon or the kingdom of empire of Babylon. There were a number, there were a few kings in that time. And after the Babylonians, there was another empire that came along. The Persians or the Medo-Persians came along after the Babylonians and they ruled the known world. And then after the Persians, the Greeks came along. Do you remember Alexander the Great? You remember from history class, the Greeks ruled the day. And then after the Greeks were the Romans. But the Romans' kingdom The empire was fatally flawed. It was strong in some areas and weak in others. And during the Roman Empire came a baby in a manger in a stable who established a kingdom on this earth that towers over every other kingdom. When Jesus came to this earth, he established a kingdom a kingdom that is above every other kingdom. And Christ himself refers to himself as a stone, that he is a stone. And I understand, and many people understand, that this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had almost 600 years before Jesus was born points to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming to build a kingdom that turns into that mountain that is above every other kingdom that has begun and is coming on this earth and will be fully established in his second coming in the future. And you have that reality and you have that truth. And the magicians and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, there is no man on earth who could possibly do what you're asking us to do. The only people who could possibly do it are the gods and they don't dwell with man. But let me tell you, there is a God in heaven who has come and has dwelt with us and continues to dwell with us by his spirit and empower you to do what he He's asking you to do. You want to make God's name known in a world that doesn't want him? Be present in your relationships. When the moment comes, point to God and rely on God's power at work within you to do it. Daniel didn't have these answers. He didn't sit down. He didn't stay up all night by candlelight figuring out this dream. He went to bed. God did the work. 
there are around this building fire extinguishers. They're located all over the building in strategic locations. My guess is you don't notice them every time you walk into the building. My guess is in most buildings that you walk into, you just walk right past the fire extinguishers. You're not sure where they are. You're trusting that they're there. You're trusting that they're around. You're trusting that they're charged up and ready to go. I can tell you, we get ours checked regularly. They're charged. They're ready to go. But you know that they're in the building somewhere. No one looks for the fire extinguisher until there's a crisis. That's when we look. When there's a crisis, we want them to be there and be ready to go. People in your life at some point are going to have some sort of mental or physical or spiritual crisis that opens them up to being ready to notice you and your faith where they never noticed it before. The question is, will you rely on the power of God within you and point them to the God who can save? How do we share God with a world that doesn't want him or feel like they need him? We're present. We point to God. And we rely on his power. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and think with me for a moment. You know, maybe you're in here this morning and, you know, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. But you've been looking everywhere in your life for ultimate answers and purpose and significance. And you thought you had it for a long time. Your work gave you that feeling, but then the job ended or you retired. Your relationships gave you that feeling, but friendships have gone sour or your marriage is in a challenging place. Intellect and Academics have always been that thing for you that you've found purpose in, but you're starting to realize that they cannot answer the ultimate questions of life. There is a God in heaven who loves you and created you and who longs for relationship with you through his son. Today could be the day that you come to him and you tell him that you are sorry for the way that you've lived apart from him and that you long for relationship with him. That would be a life-changing prayer if you would pray that this morning. And some of us this morning have people in mind who we know who need to hear about God's love. Maybe we take a moment this morning as we close and pray for them that when the door is open, we would be empowered by God to point them to him. God, help us to be the people you call us to be. To serve you and to make your name great even in a world where others feel like they don't need you. Give us wisdom by your spirit to do this well. Pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close? Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. 
If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.